Welcome to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott, and this is a podcast about board games and people who love them. I am a confessed tabletop addict, as well as an actor and host of Geek and Sundry's Game the Game, where we play through new board games each week. My guest this week is the one and only Jimmy Wong. You may know him as Ted from the series Video Game High School, created by his brother, Freddie Wong. Or you may be a fan of his Magic the Gathering podcast called Command Zoned. Command Zone, hosted by <laughs> Josh Lequai, uh, co-hosted along yep. with him. Uh, and he and Josh also have a YouTube series called Game Nights. It's on the Command Zone yes, channel. But correct. Game Nights is a series of command playthroughs, mm-hmm. commander playthroughs, where the Valiant hosts uh, knight their guests with a plastic sword. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, giant plastic axe these days. It Ugh. depends. Sometimes it changes up, though. Oh, really? Depending yeah. on what you have or yeah, sometimes the quality we had, of the guest? I th- yeah, quality of the guest, yeah. <laughs> if we really don't like them, we use a real sword and you know, <laughs> are much, less, much more careless with our... <laughs> Nighting ceremony. And let me continue my third person description of you. He's also an amazingly talented singer-songwriter with wow. a voice of gold. Wow. That was the last thing. Welcome, Jimmy. Well, I feel very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about Jimmy, his love of Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. intense, deep, world-consuming love. Deep, deep love. And a couple games we've both been into recently, coincidentally, which yeah. is Dice Throne mm-hmm. by Nate Chatelier. I said it right, of Roxley Games, and Gen 7, a crossroads game from Plaid Hat Games designed by Steve Nix. Yes. Which you have played and I have not played, but I do have my hands on a copy that I have oh, you do. poured over without opening any of the envelopes I'm not supposed to open. There is a lot going on with that game, and honestly, when I first sat down to play it with my friend Matt and Freddie and his uh, wife, it was like, you know, you have that moment when you open a board game and everyone's like, do we really want to get into it? Is this? Are you guys ready? We have some something way more casual, but Maybe we warm all, up games yeah. and then decide. But oh, we we dove too bad in. It's eleven p.m. already. And of course, we watched Randy tell us how to play. Is that his name? Is Randy the guy the, the the watch it played? Watch it played. Yeah. Oh no. What? Rodney. 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 Oh, close enough. <laughs> I was like, I'm blanking. Why am I blanking? <laughs> I'm not paying attention to his name. I'm paying attention to his soothing voice as we go through how to play Gen 7 today. Is that your Canadian yeah. accent? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. It, either way, I've watched so many of his videos. I guess it is Rodney. Randy's pretty close, but yeah, that's his American name. cousin. <laughs> American twin. Hey, I'm Randy. Hey, we're going to watch watch you play today. <laughs> today we're doing a trucking game. I'm also a big fan of Rodney Smith, and I've gotten to meet him and play a game with him a couple times. Really? Uh, at International Tabletop Day at Geek and Sundry. Oh, right. And I must say, I was a little starstruck when <laughs> I first met him. <laughs> it's funny, because you're an actor, right? I am. You have actually encountered real celebrities, quote unquote, right? Like I have served in movies and TVs. A Rachel McAdams, a tuna salad sandwich. Right. And yeah. were you a starstruck then, or was Rodney more of like a, oh my God, hi, Rodney? Well, Rachel McAdams is pretty Rachel special. McAdams is pretty awesome, yeah. but equal. Equal. equal oh, there you say. go. Equal, wow. Yeah. Rodney would be flattered. <laughs> Um, yeah, in my mind, they hang out all the time. <laughs> I mean, if I was going to ask someone to teach me how to play a board game, I would instantly go to see it played or watch it played, whatever yeah, it's called. I would not ask Rachel McAdams to teach me how to play a board game. No. Um, okay, have I have bad. questions for you. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, we can dive right in. <laughs> okay. Well, first things first. Uh, it's a very basic question for listeners who don't play Magic the Gathering. Oh, okay. What is it that draws you to Magic the Gathering, and why so, should everyone play it? So... Well, I don't know if everyone should play it, but I do think it's one of those games that everyone has probably at this point heard of, um, and it's exploded in popularity, I think, over the past like six or seven years. Um, someone told me once that the player base doubled like three years in a row, so if it started at 100 kids to 200 people to 400, so that's like a huge amount of growth. Uh, that seems easier in the first few years, but when it's 400,000. Yeah, no, we're talking millions numbers. of players worldwide, right? And so Magic is a card game. Uh, it is a usually a 1v1 card game where you are a planeswalker. That's who you're embodying, and you have a deck of cards, usually a deck that you've built yourself uh, with a, any combination of five of the colors in Magic, which all represent different things. So there is white, blue, black, red, and green. And you're basically crafting a deck to 
play against an opponent, you're both at 20 life, you draw spells, you cast creatures, you cast spells to attack each other, to buff up your creatures, to take care of their creatures, you're tapping lands call, uh, called mana to generate the energy to do so. If you've played uh, a game like Hearthstone or any of the other sort of online or computer-based card games recently, it's they're all essentially based off of what Magic created because it is the oldest and the sort of very first collectible card game ever to exist. And it, in turn, has spawned so many different card games. So many people that worked on Magic have gone on to make board games and all sorts of different games. So Magic is sort of like the... Uh, the I don't, this is probably a bad comparison, but it's like the Warhammer of the you know the miniature universe. Magic is the Warhammer oh, of the card universe. Ooh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's high fantasy, tons of awesome things, and like the the reason I think a lot of people are drawn to Magic and why you should play Magic, I do, is that you get to explore your own tastes in what you like to do in a game through the colors that you're represented by. Absolutely. What a perfect description of it. You have done this before, sir. It, that was a long-winded description, no, but thank it you. Was, no, it was Created it was 25 years thorough. ago by Richard Garfield. Magic the <laughs> Gathering has exploded in popularity. Yeah. Um, I personally, so I've been playing for ooh year, year and a half. Cool. And I play more standard than Commander. Mm-hmm. Yes. Commander being probably the most popular casual format right now. Yeah, I think Commander is actually overtaken all the other formats as the most popular Commander uh, format of Magic the Gathering. There are a lot. So Magic again, it's been around for twenty five years. Thousands and thousands of cards are in the world that are in the Magic world. So the way that works is that you can split it into different categories. So. Uh, there's a format called Limited, which you just play with booster packs that have cards in it. There's a format called Standard that you just talked about, which is all the cards that were released, let, let's say, like in the last two years. And then there's a format that takes cards even older than that and older, and Commander is one that says you can play pretty much any card in the history of Magic, but it's specifically built to be multiplayer. Right, which is uh, if you f- play... You can have 100 cards of your deck. 100 cards in your deck. One no. of them has to be one, your, yeah, commander, your commander. And whichever of the five colors they have on that one card, uh, which is usually three. Two to three, two yeah, to three. sometimes up to five. Those are the only colors you can have in your deck. Yeah, so it's kind of like if you are if you play like League of Legends or Dota or any of those games where you command a singular character or hero in a, in a game where there are a bunch of other of those kinds of champions and heroes and running around, even like Apex Legends or something. You're basically choosing, hey, what creature do I like in Magic that that I want to build a deck around? Or in like League of Legends, what champion do I want to play that and what's their role? What kind of things are they good at? So that's sort of what commander decks are. So I think it actually the reason I think it got so popular is that kind of followed the trend of where video games and a bunch of other things went, which is like you get to control a singular titular hero or champion or legend or whatever you want to call it, and that is like your essence. Very cool. For the game, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting, that parallel between video games and magic. Um, I like to play uh, with a white-black deck. Nice. Orzov is the name of the guild. Yes. There are also names for all of the names colors, but everything. you can just say white-black, and that's great. <laughs> Orzov, got to remember that one. Yeah, there's a name for each combination of two colors, and then there are names for each combination of three, three colors. colors. Yeah. Is that where it stops? Yeah, we don't really have names for four or five. That's called a mess. Yeah, it's just usually when you say it's a, a deck is a four-color deck, you say it's every color but this. It's an easier way to describe it <laughs> right. out of the five. Yeah, we White should start doing that when we describe our careers. It's like I'm everything. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm a jack of all trades except for I don't construct houses. Actually, maybe you could do it for board games. Like I play with every single kind of board game, but no worker placement. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't mess with that worker placement. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, I don't want to build a map while I play, so none of those games either. <laughs> Burn them all. Disagree. Um, <laughs> all right, so you have been dubbed by your co-host, Josh, as Jimmy the Red. Yeah, that's right, actually. <laughs> uh, I think it was self-prescribed. When I was a little kid, I played Magic for the first time because it was made. the game create, was created in Seattle, where I grew up. And so uh, when I was in second grade, I was playing Magic and with like the third or fourth set. It was called Ice Age. But I remember really distinctly I played a deck that was all red and had a, everything that was literally just mountains, which is what red is symbolized by. The, the sword gives you the energy, the mana in the game. And I would only cast burn spells. And burn spells are spells that say deal three damage to target opponent. Just that's it. Like just do it to their face. <laughs> do just And so that's what I would do. I would just play a bunch of mountains and just keep burning people out. And that was like the, what I really loved about the game is that it was super simple – I could kill people and do it in a really satisfying way. 
and oh, they couldn't man. like interact with it a lot of the time. Did so, you get in fights a lot in second grade for that? No, I think we were all just playing such janky messes of decks that no one really cared what was happening. We all just liked that we could do something that was both cheap and affordable for us too because we were so young. So we at just kind of po- at the time, yeah, <laughs> we just put together whatever decks we could. Um, and so when I, as an adult, I am now Jimmy the Red because I did enjoy that aspect of it. But I would personally say my favorite colors are red, blue, and either black and maybe green. So red and blue are definitely my two favorites though at the top. You don't mess with white. You're not a paladin. No, I'm not, not I'm not a holy a spirit. Nah. Yeah, that's true. There are cats and dogs in white, yeah. Mm, a lot of soldiers the, like the, humans. The pure, the savior, the the teamwork aspect. Should we what, like, should we break down what all the colors mean? I mean it's I pretty, love that you are turning this into a, a podcast magic about just about magic. magic. Yeah. I mean since we are we just did white. Well, give me, I mean, give me a quickie. <laughs> sure, <laughs> give me a quickie. Well, other the other games we're going to talk about today, we can compare to the colors of Magic because, again, <gasps> every single game I swear has some amount of inspiration from Magic because it is just the original sort of like tabletop game. It's like that, Tolkien w- that's is in every like, fantasy novel. Yeah, it's, it's actually no. That's a great comparison. I think Magic, and with the amount of art it creates every year, it definitely has a huge impact on board games and card games and everything in general. In the same way that Warhammer does and Tolkien does for fantasy and Star Wars does and like Star Trek does. Totally. Um, so white, yeah, like you said, all about purity, paladins, you know, working as a group, the group dynamic, you know, we're in it for each other kind of thing. See, that's what I like about my really cool standard your, deck your standard that I deck, love yeah. is uh, it's that but with vampires. So you're, ah. you're putting, you're putting, you know, plus ones on everything. And, They're getting and real big with a Johnny, I'm out. assuming. With a what? A Johnny. Is that how you're giving plus one, plus one counters to everyone? What's a Johnny? A Johnny is a name of a card. How oh. are you getting plus one, plus one to everyone? Uh, with with um, like Is guild a, cards. Oh, uh, don't test me on names of cards. It's the cool one that says give all of your vampires plus one. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Or give all of your knights plus one. Um, but I have a, a very, I think, strongly comboed vampire deck. Nice. It could use some more, not spells, that's a word for any card. What, Creatures? Uh, uh, instants, instants and sorceries. And sorceries. Yeah. yeah. So now that you're talking about vampires, that's what black is a color that is all. It's not evil, right? I think that's a misconception no, people no, have no. about black. That's black a misconception is, about any creature within a black deck. Yeah, exactly. Black is more about how can you do things that are like, for instance, black will use life as a resource. Be like, I will spend life to draw cards. I will get something at any cost. That's yeah, and mo- that's what I've been doing for years, and I don't think it's wrong or evil in life, right? Yeah, no, yeah. me back as a person. Yeah, yeah, I really yeah. Do okay, okay, in the okay, morning, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you think? you got me on this podcast <laughs> at any cost i love your dog so glad you gave him to me uh yeah well uh i gave you three years of his life oh but well to be determined when i'll take are. it i'll take it yeah so black is very much uh more self-centered and selfish not necessarily evil um, blue is a color that's all about knowledge so you're using your brains your intellect your wit manipulation uh, manipulation yes controlling other things black has a little bit of that too um, green is all about nature and growth and natural things happening. So it doesn't like to, it, so green's never gonna you're never gonna see green constructing crazy robots or whatever. They're they're more about you know using the power of you know what is natural and what is the strength of the and earth. Then they'll them. overgrow the table so much that yeah. all their creatures are gonna stomp you. Yeah, they make their creatures bigger. They don't make Big. you know automatonic whatever robots. And what's last red. Red is about impulse, uh, aggression, uh, basically what like your, you know, um, it's more emotional. So a second grader's personality. Yeah, we see of. why Jimmy the Red liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's faster and all that stuff. Um, and of course, the colors they all pair up with other things that are next to them. So red and white. If if you like look on the back of a Magic cards, all of the colors are in a five. Uh, Was it a pentagon? Uh, and the colors that are next to are called like its neighboring colors. So blue is actually next to black because controlling and knowledge and selfishness kind of are aligned with each other, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So all of the colors do share a neighbor and they, they kind of like they have They combo best some with elements. what's next to them, right? They can combo best with what's next to them. Sometimes they combo great with things across. But the idea of magic is that each color has its inherent strengths and weaknesses. And the other colors are what help either bolster that or, you know, support it in some way sometimes. But it's a very complex game, but it's very fun. You need a magic night soon. You're you're igniting There's tons of fun to it. But we'll take those theories into the rest of the show as we go forward. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have to continue a question that I've been asking everyone, which is, besides magic, what did you play as a kid? Video games or board games? Oh, okay. I played a lot of video games as a kid. Board games, not so much. I think I, I got into board games like a lot of people as like an adult 
like a adult with expendable income, which right. is why I think board games also are coming back so hard. <laughs> yep. Um, so as a kid, I you know I was a big Nintendo kid, so I had an N sixty four. I loved games like Smash Brothers, Super Mario, um, Zelda was like one of the big forming like big big influences in my life growing up. Um, I watched a lot of anime as well, so I was into the cartoony like. Japanese-inspired world of things, I think. Yeah. Much more so than, like, playing. We played Monopoly and stuff like that, but we weren't serious about it. I don't think we saw the appeal of that when you could go and see something <laughs> on the TV and it was animated and it was cool. And yeah, CG, why, you know. why doesn't Monopoly have more graphics? I don't understand. No, and then you just get... It's just actually kind of a stressful game to play because it just reminds you now of the real world <laughs> and all the rent and all the other You know, you fees. have a good point there, although I think I'm pretty good at real-worlding, which is maybe why I would still play a game of Monopoly of something. Wow, didn't you just say that you would do anything at any cost in the real world? Maybe that's why you're so good. <laughs> I am a little bit ruthless, it's true. Um, okay, now, what I want to know is let's get into it. So you told me that you see Magic's influence in other games all the time. All the time, yes. Especially on Keyforge, which is yes. the latest game by Richard Garfield, who 25 years ago created Magic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have a little booster pack of it right here. Oh. Uh, sorry, I say booster pack, but it's actually a booster That's deck. That's just a deck. I guess, yeah. There's no boost. There is no boost. So do the, do the listeners know about Keyforge? No, they don't. Let's tell them. Keyforge is a really interesting game. Uh, it was made by Richard Garfield, and he teamed up with Fantasy Flight Games, and FFG has been making so many different board games across the years, but they have uh, also been getting into card games. But the way that Magic works is different in the way that like a lot of collectible card games quote-unquote work is very different than the model that FFG does. So Fantasy Flight Games has done something where they call it a living card game. Right, it doesn't um, qualify as a TCG because it doesn't TCG. have the C. Yeah, there's no trading or collecting necessarily. And a game like Keyforge is even different than that. This is like a whole new brand of it. So normally with a card game like Magic, if a new set comes out, there are 250 cards in the set. In order to get all the cards, you would have to open booster packs, and each booster pack is a randomized collection of like 15 cards, 10 common, or go three on uncommon. eBay. Yeah, or go on eBay. <laughs> or one of the other magic specific websites. Exactly, and buy the cards yourself. Uh, that obviously makes it a collector's game because some cards are more rare. There are foils of each card, so it's hard to get those. So you'd collect and you'd foils trade. Foils are the fancy, shiny ones. The shiniest ones. And so when Fantasy Flight Games started making games, they actually took the Game of Thrones card game uh, from its original collectible format and then turned it into an LCG, which meant that instead of collecting the cards, you could just buy every single card when the set came out, and you would have access to all of them. So but you wouldn't. What's the game in that? Well, in that way, you kind of make it less restrictive for people that, hey, buddy. Oh, Oshi is causing trouble. Come here. I love here. Oshi. Oshi. He can cause as much trouble as he wants. We're doing a podcast. Can you sit? Thank you. <laughs> Stay. So the reason that you would do that is like it's restrictive sometimes when you have to pot, buy all the cards or buy the cards for your deck, and it costs a lot of money because maybe it's the most popular deck, so it's going to be more expensive to get the cards. The way that the LCG works for Fantasy Flight Games is like, you know what, we'll just have a set price. This is all you have to pay, and you'll have all the cards, so that way you can play in tournaments without having to worry about the restriction of paying money for like chase cards or harder to get ones. Um, which I actually like that format a lot. Yeah, do you play that um The Game of Thrones? No, I don't. I play Magic for fun. I don't really like to compete with these sorts of things. Um, now, Keyforge is different because Richard Garfield, I don't know who decided this, but Richard Garfield was like, look, we're going to make a game where every single quote-unquote booster pack you buy is actually a deck. And each deck is a randomized collection uh, with some, I think, there's some like formula to it, but it's pretty much random cards of like the 250 cards set in Archon. So whenever you buy a deck, you're not actually ever building a deck, you just buy one. And whatever is in here becomes a thing you buy. Absolutely. And, and thing you will play. And if it's not good, buy another one. But instead of having to be, you're not collecting cards, you're not buying all of them at once, you're actually and buying you, like a randomly. you, in cannot. Because did you mention that the, um, oh, the yes. backs of each card is unique to that deck? Unique to that uniquely deck. Uniquely generated name of the deck. Even the art on the card of the, of the backs of the card is, is randomly generated as well. The names, yeah, the name of the deck is. And there's a QR code with each deck that is says this is the these are all the cards that have to go in this deck. You can't change it out. So so you could register it online if you yeah. want with your QR code. Um, you know, I actually I saw really an interview with Richard Garfield, and he said that he came up with this idea. You are out of control, Oshi. He came up with this idea in the '90s when there were these trading TCG leagues, uh -huh. and um, they would just be played with. 
you know, like the base level cards. And then when those started, people were so inundated with cards that they couldn't keep their leagues ca- league cards separate. Uh-huh. And it became, you know, if, if you don't if you don't buy into the best stuff, then, then you're just going to lose. Down. Yeah, you're yeah. Behind. And so that's he's been thinking about this for decades yeah. about creating something like this. And I really enjoy Keyforge. I've, I've played some and um, I, I find it, it has a lot of the satisfaction that mm-hmm. Magic does, less of the take that because you're, you actually don't have to knock yeah. your opponent down to zero. You just have to forge three keys, which often includes knocking out your opponent's amber. But, um, doesn't have to. Thank you for cuddling my dog. That's I find that to be a lot better. Actually, I think Richard Garfield kind of strayed away from Magic once it got more into that world. And like games like he's made, like King of Tokyo and other things. I think he's more focused on like what makes things fun for people. He's much more of like an I think like a a game like lover at heart as opposed to someone that's more competitive. Yeah, um, for sure. Now you've worked directly with Watsi, Wizards of the Coast, that correct. owns Magic: The Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons now. Uh, and yep, and D and D. What has that process been like? Great. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously we have, when we started the podcast, we didn't start it with any like aspirations to necessarily turn into what it, and evolve into what it is today. But the more that we were making for the, the game, we were like, you know what, this is great. Let's, let's make a show about playing the game and let's like expand our horizons and, and make our content better and better as, better, as, as you know, as perfectionist, as great as we can personally make it. And after a while, uh, we started talking to people at Wizards of the Coast. Some of them were already our friends, right? Because we, you know, I grew up in Seattle. We knew them from tournaments. We've met them around, um, and it was it turned into a conversation of like, hey, you know, maybe we should see if they would like to sponsor a show like this. Because we saw Geek and Sundry had uh, Spell Slingers, right? Yeah, and we great saw show. that you know a lot of other people were making magic themed content, and it looked like, oh, cool, like if these people can get some sponsorship or support in making this stuff, we would love to do that too because that's that's really one of the main ways that we're going to be able to keep this up. So you just reached out. Yeah, we reached out. and But more importantly, I think, you know, my co-host Josh, um, he dropped his day job as a trailer editor to work on Magic content full-time. So he really was putting all his chips on the table, right, and being like, this is what I want to do now. So it also became very much a, you know, we need to be able to make the finances work for the amount of hours we're putting into this and what we're doing. And if we don't find sponsorship and ways to support this content, we have a Patreon as well, then it's just going to stop. So and just to remind listeners that your podcast is The Command Zone. The Command so Zone, correct. find that podcast, find that Patreon. Yeah, it's all there. Also very importantly. Uh, yeah, so I mean, like our patrons are obviously our top supporters and our best fans. Um, and being able to find, we have a couple of sponsors now. So it's sort of like a mishmash of a lot of different revenue areas to make everything still function at the same rate and to continue to grow more importantly. Um, Do you and Josh share the responsibility for the business side of the podcast? Yeah, we're both we're the we're the partners, I guess, that that own the company together if you want to get really um formal about it, I suppose. Oh yeah, get in the um, weeds. Well I mean that's the thing we found out too is that, you know, gamers and this is this is starting to get really like, woo, big picture scale. But I think the reason a lot of game stores fail and the reason that a lot of game stores are improperly run or even game companies to a certain degree is because that when you start off as a gamer, as someone that's passionate about a hobby, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at doing the business side of things. Um, and so I find that a lot of times when like a game store goes out of business or things aren't like, you know, like professional or tidy, it, it, it makes sense. Cause it's like, oh, well, who did you put in charge? Someone that hasn't ever learned about business before or studied or trained for this kind of thing. And, or was it, was it someone that just like came at this from a passion, which is amazing. But for me, I'm really fortunate to have partnered with someone like Josh because he has much more of that business sensibility about him. Because he's worked in marketing, he's done a lot of stuff at other companies before, so he understands that side of it. And you know, I'm able to provide some insight and some help in terms of guiding that area. But I think, without having a partner or someone that really um, believes in the same product, it can be a really it can be a challenge. So. Oh, very cool. Well, I'm glad you and Josh Sleekway have found each other and been able to work together so well. More importantly, I found this dog. And yeah, and you and Oshi have found each other, which is a beautiful partnership in itself. (gasps) A nose kiss feels like the perfect time to take a short break so you and Oshi can cuddle. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Jimmy about Dice Throne and Gen 7, two games that we've been into lately. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Victory Points. I'm sitting here with Jimmy Wong, Hello. a man of many talents, and uh, we're talking about some stuff you love. Yes. We've just been talking about Magic the Gathering, and now I'd love to jump into what you love about Dice Throne. Yeah. But before we do, we should probably tell people what it is. Yeah. Dice Throne is a game that my friend Matt introduced me to, who is sort of like the board game expert in my life. And he. Thank goodness for Matt. Yeah, thank goodness for Matt. He was also the co-creator of Video Game High School, uh, founder of Rocket Jump alongside my brother Freddie. And he loves board games. And he's always bringing new board games around the house, uh, basically saying, hey, let's play this. This is really interesting. Dice Throne, it says season two on this. I believe this is the second time they've kickstarted the game. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it's a mixture of a card game as well as a dice rolling game. So where much you dice are, rolling. A lot of dice rolling, yeah. Uh, where you play as any of the characters that are on the in these boxes. And it's really cool. The game comes... Sort of like, I don't know if you guys are watching the camera version of this, it comes in a little tray with everything that you need to play that character in there, mm -hmm. um, including a deck, dice, and also the explanation of how each character works. Now, each character plays differently, and you're basically fighting, usually in a multiplayer game against other people, rolling dice and trying to knock everyone else out of the game by taking their life down to zero. That's it in a nutshell. You can um, also play as teams. You could do 2v2, yeah, totally. 2v2, 3v3, up to 6. Yeah, and so each of the characters comes with their own deck of cards, and in that deck of cards is a variety of different things. So there are cards that help you change the value of your dice depending on the character. There are also, um, more importantly, on each of the characters' sort of like sheet or stats, they have different abilities, and depending on what you roll on the dice, you can trigger these different abilities if you have the right sort of like things on the dice. Um, and there are different symbols for each uh, character that are different. And you can upgrade the abilities too with cards in your deck. So yeah. you're, you're, it's basically kind of like there's a lot of resource management. Uh, there's a lot, there's a little bit of chance. There's a little bit of mitigating risk. Um, and there's also about what I really like about it is that each character is so different. You're learning about uh, how, do, how each character works, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And also it's changing every time because you're playing against different people on the board. And so what you do and the strategies you might take could vary from game to game. Absolutely. Now, I'm a really big fan of this game. I think you did such a beautiful job describing it once again. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you roll your dice up to three times, and right. it's that. really so much of it is in should I go for my really big dice combo attack, or do I want to stick with the play it safe? I know I'll get some damage through if I go with this one. Yep. Some damage is defensible, some damage is not defensible. Right. Usually, right. the more difficult to roll combos are. are more often undefensible. Yes, and it's also like you also have to be like, hey, I'm attacking you. Should I actually do that? Because maybe you have a card that can stop something, mm -hmm. or maybe you know, maybe I don't want to do that because I know on your next turn you're going to go straight for me. Oh yeah. So there's a little bit of politicking in there too, which I really like, um, which is a big part of the commander format that our show's say. about. Um, so being able to negotiate at the table, being like, hey, you want to do this? Like, hey, let's not do this to me. Like, hey, can we team up? This person's getting out of control. Yada yada. You now I think you're playing like with that. house rules because. Oh really? Yeah, Dice Throne actually has a mechanic, and I know because I started house ruling it, and then I realized this, oh. where when you're deciding who to attack, you actually roll a die. Oh. And let's see, you'll be one and two, the next person's three and three four, four, the next person's five, five and six. six. I did not know so that. you don't actually get to choose. I know, it's an interesting, huh. it uh, it takes out some of that kingmaker-ness, mm -hmm. because if you see somebody is weak, you might as well knock them out. Or you, right. if you see somebody's in the lead, maybe your strategy is to take down the person in the lead. Right, right, interesting. Uh, I did not know that. Um, and that might, that might work, because in games of Commander, we sometimes do that too. I don't know who to attack first, so I'm just gonna roll a dice and figure it out from there. Right, yeah. Um, but if you're doing that for every single attack, that's very interesting. Yeah, it does, it is something that makes it different from Commander, mm -hmm. um, which it, at first I was like, what, no, I wanna pick! And then I was like, oh, thank goodness they have to roll, right, because right. then I can cross my fingers, it won't be me. It and won't I be can, you, yeah. I can still play specific um, abilities that mm -hmm. my character has on a specific player, but In they may not be able to come right, back at me right. for doing that. So that's good, because you do have a lot of different effects. Every character does different things. You're looking at my favorite character. Me right too, there. actually. Really? The Artificer, yeah. Oh, I think he's one of the hardest to play oh, as well. Oh, I think well. so. What's the, char the complexity rating That's on a there? six out of six. Oh, 
My Becca. goodness, look at us. His weapon of choice is the robot army. So each character is going to do damage differently and do things, and and all their passives and all their like abilities are different. There's a huntress in here, and she summons an actual like beast to fight alongside her. Yeah, that can take Nira, damage. Yeah, Mira the tiger. Uh, the artificer summons these little bots that pop out, and they'll like you know they can accrue um, uh, nanites. Uh, they're called nanites. They accrue. They they can give. You can give positive status effects to yourself, negative status effects to people, deal damage and shock them and heal yourself. So there's lots of different things that the uh, the artificer can do. He's very flexible, but also requires a lot of like mental sort of being there and be like, what do I do next? Right. So whereas you can't attack people, Rand, or, or you can't choose who to attack, you can at least choose who to put this sort of stuff on. Yeah, and uh, the artificer is definitely someone who you can choose who to target with. And uh, I think something that Nate did a really good job on when designing this game, was each hero's abilities feel so custom? So custom. Even the down theme. to the dice that each of those characters has mm -hmm. has different faces on them. Like the artificer has lightning bolts, gears, and wrenches on his, whereas another character is going to be completely different. And they they name them. Yeah. Yeah. Wrench, 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 gear, bolt. So they'll also tell you like one, two, and three on the faces have this, four and five of this, and then six has this. So you'll know when you're rolling. Okay, I don't really have a good chance of doing this. Or if like, hey, I want to reroll two of my five dice. Well, should I do it? because I'm only going to get, you know, there's a very small chance I need to get the thing I need to get, yada, yada. So but very interesting. But you can also manipulate that with your cards. So each character also has yes. their super mega powerful power that has a different name than that. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you basically get five sixes. They're ultimate, They're ultimate, yeah. yeah. Uh, their maximum power it is uh, a super, super cool ability that sometimes has an effect that will last throughout the rest of the game. Yeah. Will give you a new maximum in some component of your character's abilities. And what's cool is that maybe you just roll three lightning bolts, but you have one card that allows you to rotate right. your dice one pip, and one card that allows you to make any die face a six, and you play those cards in combo, and bam, your maximum power just pulled you way in the lead. Yeah, so. it's the maximum, If every time I've seen someone hit it in a game, it's like game over for someone. Yeah. Or it's getting very close to. It's, it's incredibly powerful. But yeah, it's really great. And you have so many options here, right? Just on this character alone, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different things you can do outside of your ultimate and it's always going to change based on the situation also based on what you roll so there's a lot of like constant decision making um which i really like in games where it's not just like all right well i can only do one thing so i'm gonna do that key forge or sorry dice throne every single turn is going to be different yeah um, I say mostly nice things about games all the time and i don't have anything not nice to say about this game say? but uh any cons I guess I would say I don't actually like the fact that you have to choose who to attack. Or that you don't get to choose who to attack. Ah, okay, um, keep playing with your house rule. You know, I do think that if if you're playing a three-player game, I would say keep that rule intact. Because a lot of times in three-player games, it gets to a pivotal turn where one player basically gets to decide who wins. So, for instance, mm -hmm. let's say you and Andrew are battling it out. You guys are clearly in the lead. And it's my turn, and I'm not going to win. It's just not going to happen. Right. I can choose. You know what? I'm going to direct all of my forces on what presumably is my last turn at you. And if I do that, I'm guaranteed to lose the game. And if uh, you're not married to the person making the decision, you're you <laughs> yeah, then exactly. it's done. <laughs> so if I did that, and then it would be like, well, Andrew's going to be next up. He's easily going to be to finish you off. And Jimmy, you're in no position to challenge him. So you basically, as a third player, got to decide who won the game. When you are in that position... Do you only let mechanics of the game decide for you, or is it inevitable that people always bring outside relationships into that it's kingmaker choice? I've played enough games that outside relationships I try not to factor in, um, unless someone like really betrayed me or did something super, <laughs> you know. But in game, yeah, in game, uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, we played, we've all played Resistance and oh. Merlin, right? Is that the other one or Avalon? Sorry. <sighs> I still have a grudge against my husband for one specific game of the resistance and I will never let it go. Exactly. So so it's you know, I think you want to avoid that as much as possible. <laughs> so I do like in three player games I'm I'm okay with the randomization of who you're attacking. Yeah. In four player games I think there's a lot more fun to be had in terms of like, hey, I don't want to attack you because you just helped me out or like, hey, I'll exchange this for that, you know, and I think that's like that deepens the gameplay level. Ooh, so yeah. maybe that's my only complaint. So you like when there's a negotiation tactic yeah. added into a game. I think that's a lot of fun. Now, of course, if you're not the kind of play group that wants to do that, or if you're sitting down with four random people that you've never met before and you don't want to, then I can totally see why the randomization factor is a, a nice rule uh, yeah. to, to mitigate that sort of like, you know, you can get salty over that kind of stuff really easily if you're not careful.
Yeah. Um, just one other thing I want to note about Dice Throne Season 2 is that they did a really good job on the gendered parody. Uh, there are five female characters and three male characters in these yeah. eight characters here. And diversity, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a vampire as well as a cursed pirate. That's... <laughs> and, yeah, you, you feel like, you know, sometimes that those fringe... Uh, those minorities like uh, pirates and vampires are not really represented And serifs? How often do, does a serif get game representation? She is a robot. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah serif no, is a great character. I, I, I think board games, if we want to get deep into it, are a great way to um, have amazing representation and, and to, like, you know, without having to force it, honestly. Like, you can, you like, Magic, again, is a great example of this. They're always going to new planes, is what they call it in the universe, and each of those planes is going to have different, you know, Magic the Gathering culture is in it, not necessarily universe like American or South American or European or Chinese cultures, but magic cultures. But in that, you can show representation because you can see a wide variety of different looking people, places, things, and and customs that are usually influenced in some way or another from the real world. So I do love board games for that. Like for instance, Seven Wonders isn't trying to be a super representative game, but what it does is it exposes you to a world that they've built that is in you know that universe of mm-hmm. whatever Seven Wonders is, and it's cool. You get to see you know how they represent all that stuff with the characters and all that, and it's not it's a world that you may not have ever engaged with otherwise. That's so interesting. I never think of Seven Wonders as being representative, but I guess it's, in its, it's own showing way. you a culture yeah. that maybe you haven't been exposed to before. Yeah, you didn't know about pyramids and Spartans and whatever else is in there and the world leaders, right? Like Seven Wonders, it's all about the seven wonders of the world. So yeah. you get of, to see a of lot of ancient, that. Ancient Greece, ancient, ancient times. Mesopotamia, yeah. as in, ancient, ancient worlds. Yeah. Um, I would just be careful to not always think it's going to be 100% the truth in these games because maybe it's some revised version of the world to make it fit the game or whatever the artist. Revised sort of is a nice term instead of whitewashed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's lots of different ways, obviously, that that I think the world has it can be represented in games. Um, since we're talking about representation, can I ask you about a real deep cut? Yeah. Okay. In We've been getting deeper and deeper. Oh yeah, this is a deep cut. Um, I didn't know this about you. I've known of you as a gamer, but I didn't uh, know that you had um, in 2011 you had a song and video on YouTube that mm-hmm. went super viral. You were yes. interviewed on MSNBC about it, even. Yeah, NPR um, too. Oh, so cool! I love NPR. I'm such a fan of Terry. Yeah, I know, me too. Um, uh, Ching Chong Asians in the Library yes. song is the name of the video, and it was in response to this this uh, horrible woman. I don't even know if we should say her name. We can. Her name was Alexandra Wallace. I believe they actually got their name changed after the whole oh my kerfuffle. Kerfuffle? I think it's kerfuffle. I think you could put fluff in there if you want. Yeah, there was a lot of... So the reason it's called Ching Chong, which just saying it, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's it, going on? It hurt. I was like, can I even read this title out loud? Which, yes, you uh, definitely bef- can. Before you get into it, I just wanted to say, uh, I think part of its viralness is your beautiful voice and beautiful singing and guitar Thank playing you. talent. I uh, appreciate it. It is that. actually a beautiful sounding song. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that was like the third video I ever released on YouTube and yeah. to have that go viral is a very strange feeling because, right. you know, it's like, am I ready for this? <laughs> I usually explain to people like it felt like a, a tidal wave of activity and news and attention, except I wasn't surfing on top of it. I was kind of in the middle of the wave, tumbling forward. But, wow. you know, it was still pushing me in a direction, so I was okay with it. Um, yeah, so what ended up happening was um, back in 2011, uh, there was a um, – just like contextually, there was a – uh, about two weeks before this all went down, there was a tsunami that hit Japan after an earthquake, and uh, it dominated the news. Some of that footage was some of the most horrifying things that I've ever seen uh, from a natural disaster. Yeah. And uh, th- I think that that was like dominating the news cycle. And then out of nowhere, this girl named Alexandra Wallace uh, posts a vlog from, she was a sorority student at UCLA, and posts a vlog complaining about specifically Asians in the library and that they were too loud for her tastes and that she was trying to study to become a some kind of major and that she needed her peace and quiet in order to really like, you know, she made all these ridiculous claims in the video now, that I'm she was Now I'm stereotyping, a, but I can't see that person in a library? Yeah, I don't know, maybe she wasn't. <laughs> but I think the, the general thing was she was, I mean like if we have to really cut down to what it was, is she did not like immigrant students being loud and speaking their own language in what she felt was an abrasive way in the library. 
uh, and I'm pretty sure that she, I mean, based on what she, the language she used and the way that she impersonated them, that she was specifically going after Chinese students. But, but she said Asians in the library. And so this video, right after I'd say national sympathy was at an all-time high for Japan, she <laughs> put Asians on blast in a very public and pretty like racist, stereotypical way. And so her video blew up, went viral immediately. She was getting death threats and all sorts of people were coming at her being like, you need to stop <laughs> or like your your life is in danger, essentially. Um, and as a result, we had people that were vlogging and doing comedy bits about it. We had people that were just screaming at her online, just like your doggy screaming at me for yeah. attention. Well, it's because uh, you could say that she was also screaming out for attention. For sure. Uh, <laughs> you can. Yeah. So. As a result, I was like, I'm gonna write a song instead. And so I wrote a song response to her that sort of took her whole thing and reframed it in a more positive, joking, comedic way. I think that, you approached that in a really beautiful way of, okay, I'm gonna show you why you're wrong. Yeah. But not in a combative way, in a yeah, it was like a higher ground kind of response. Yeah, it was kind of like a let me gently put you down while, you know, and in, not insulting you necessarily, but like using your own words against you, mm -hmm. but also recontextualizing what she yeah. said and trying to frame it in a positive light. Yeah. Come here, dog. Come. He's the good third podcast host. I mean, I thought he would be. Uh, he's 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 uh, mastering the format slowly but surely. He's young. Uh, mastering the format. That's nice. Well, thank you so much for talking about that. I I feel like it, it, it's it's such a cool thing that you did. That come here. You want to come on my lap? Let's go. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> let's see. What else? What, what, what else? What else? Okay. Anyway, yes, I I'm always happy to talk about that because I think it was a it was a very formative part of my career before I like went more into acting and all that stuff. So I, I enjoyed being able to do music like that for a year on YouTube and that like really pushed things forward for me in terms of- uh, Visibility. Visibility, but also just like solidifying what my goals were in life and what I like to do and what made me happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think things have changed in these eight years in terms of like, uh, like that being I think the world we live in is a two steps forward, one step back kind of society where there will be some radical progress and things will happen. And then you'll realize that deep down systemically there is things that still definitely are not as rosed, rosy tinted, whatever. Like you gotta take off the rose tinted glasses at some point and sort of accept and understand where the world is at. You know, cause not everyone can be super progressive and super accepting and open about all these things. You know, there was a huge- Well, they could be. They could be, right? <laughs> Everyone could be. But there's always been controversy about like, how dare you force your, you know, your your representation and your SJW-ness into my game. You know, like how dare, like, I can't believe Tracer is gay. That's unbelievable. You know, like there are people that would just get mad over- Tracer, who is a character from Overwatch? Overwatch, yeah. Like people just get absurdly upset over all sorts of things. And it's sort of like a very much an outrage culture kind of world we live in right now. But I think that has to eventually settle down and die down at some point. Um, I just don't know if it's gonna happen anytime soon. Um, but it's, it's again, maybe it's a wave that we just need to ride out slowly over time. But I, again, I think the more that people have a understanding of why representation and visibility is important, the better and faster things will get healed and, and you know make a world a better place for everyone, to be honest. Like, it's not like a, it's fine because like, when people talk about their dislike of like the, the uh, forced in representation of a game or whatever, um, I always find it funny because it's like, this doesn't actually hurt you at all, right? right. It just makes other people happier and I don't understand why that could be such a divisive thing for you. And comfortable and welcome yeah. to have a game that has someone that makes them feel like they should be there playing it. Yeah, and that's amazing. And I wish I had a lot of that growing up, you know, instead, you know, for me as an actor growing up, I saw uh, Asians as people that could just do martial arts <laughs> and not necessarily get the girl, right? And mm -hmm. like as a teenager in a very white school, uh, that didn't really have you know many uh, lady friends. I felt like that was something that I was always like bummed out because it would be so cool if like right alongside Brad Pitt there was another celebrity that was Asian and looked kind of like me, you know, and someone that I could look up to in a different way, someone that maybe shared my culture uh, and connect to. So that's sort of like what I think representation does. I think a lot of people end up getting 
I don't know, entitled to things that they maybe shouldn't be entitled about. Like, this is my game. This is my thing. How dare you change it to make other people feel like it could be theirs too. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot in general with internet content as well, with movies and with, you know, you see it happen more often than I'm happy to see it happen. It's just one of those things where I think, I hope it gets better over time. But the only way to do it is just to keep on the path that we've been going on and just eventually make it a cultural norm so that no one questions it as much that we just have games and a world that represents the people that it's trying to, you know, have play it. Or Absolutely. Be in it. And I think the, the, there's been some examples, um, like, you know, uh, Oscars are, are slightly less white, but still so white. Uh, right. I mean, of, l- like Crazy Rich Ages was represented. I was very upset that if Bill Street could talk was not there, but I but, don't know why Kate that Klansman movie wasn't nominated. Did you see it? Yeah, it's I'm great. so angry. I don't I'm like gr- so angry. Uh, look, Green Book. <laughs> I understand why uh, why people stood up and walked out. Right, I get why Spike Lee did it. Um, uh, I, I heard a. Uh, it's okay. So the reason why Spike Lee likely walked out is because. 30 years ago. He lost to another movie, but it was just the roles reversed of someone driving, driving someone else, Miss Daisy. Daisy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and that's, I think, what the, the main critique was of that movie, which is like, this isn't progressing anything in any way. Yeah. It's just sort of playing on, you know, old sympathies, old things. And, and apparently even Mahershala, or however you say Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali called some people and apologized if, if they thought that his portrayal was like not the right thing to do at that moment in, in history. Yeah, I think he was under the understanding that the family had known about the project and been involved, and it turned out they hadn't been. Yeah. And it was the story of a white and black man becoming friends. The black man was a, a musician, musician and the white guy with was a doctorate, his... and the guy was kind of like his muscle he hired to so he could do this tour through the South. Right. And the movie was told through the perspective of the white man. Yeah. And, Which and doesn't then, seem like it was his story. Yeah. <laughs> but because I, the family had been behind producing it. Yeah, it why. just felt like a very strange movie out of all of them to win Best Picture. Um, I uh, Sadly, won my Oscars pool because I put my money on Green Book winning. Wow. Not because I thought it should, but because I uh, think hashtag Oscars so white. <laughs> and that's yeah, I mean. like, look, here's this fantasy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Does that mean that's one thing about the Oscars too? And boy, are we talking about board games now? Yeah, we're really talking about uh, a lot of board games. Yeah, but like this year, it was great for we had the Asian August is what people were calling it. We had Searching with John Cho, Crazy Rich Asians, basically showing the world that yes, Asian movies can have market power and that people want to go see them and will pay money to see them. And a sexy heartthrob for young Asian boys to look up to and yeah, show. no, absolutely. He's they took their shirts off, so they attractive. kissed women, and they did things, <laughs> and the women were powerful too. They had their own, you know, it was great in all in many, many different ways. And this is the same Hollywood that like two or maybe three years ago had a joke that Chris Rock introduced where three tiny Asian children in full suits came out holding briefcases representing like the Stillwater or whatever company that like counts the Oscar ballots, right? <laughs> like being like, look at our little Asian accountants. Aren't they cute and funny? Oh, no. And that same year, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen made a joke about minions and having small peepees and like liking that to Asians as well. So like that's how it's not even though things look better, it's it, we're still in the system that's old. And that has been doing things that are not necessarily like, you know, super inclusive for a long time. And that's kind of just where we're at. It's you have to like take the good with the bad, the two steps forward with one step back. You have to understand like the it's not something that's going to change overnight. And it's not something that's going to fix itself. We have to all be a part of that fixing to get there. Absolutely. But do you think we're in a slightly better place in that there are some groups of people that are shining light on this or yeah, acknowledging I think so. the light? I, I think the, 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 the good and the bad of this, again, of the two steps forward, one step back, is that now we have a lot more groups talking about it. We have a lot of people that understand what's going on and are actively working to have a better represented world. A lot of people are doing it for money, which makes sense, because if something makes money, you do more of that thing. Uh, I think just for the longest time, people didn't realize that the represented world could make money. Um, so I think the, the good is that, great, <laughs> we're pushing towards it. There are a lot more outspoken voices. There's a lot more in, in general attention uh, paid to that. The bad is that we are, uh, the way that it's happening can sometimes involve a lot of screaming and shouting, and that turns a lot of people away as well. For sure. But if you don't have the screaming and shouting, you're never going to get anything. So I think it has, you know, things will temper themselves over time. I just think it, it needs to find that natural balance and equilibrium. It's just going to take time. 
Absolutely. To get there. And speaking of progress and the future, we're almost out of time. But if you're thinking about, say, space travel in the future, <laughs> and you quickly want to talk about a game that we promised we'd talk about, but yes. we're almost out of time, called Gen Seven. I'll briefly describe it because unless you're a very hardcore gamer, I don't think you're going to be playing this game. This game is definitely on like the one to ten scale of one being like Settlers of Catan. 10 being Gen 7. I think Gen 7 is like an 8, 9, 10-ish area. Ooh, it's, it is. So I've been fawning over this box. I've been looking through its components. I've been wishing that I could get any game group to commit to playing, yeah. but it is seven sessions of a campaign-style game. Seven sessions. Each session has taken us about two hours so far. Uh, basically, you are uh, humans on a ship traveling to a new uh, world colony to rebuild your world. And the entire t thing, I believe, takes place on the ship itself. Yeah, uh, so the story is that it takes 13 generations right. for this travel. So you're gonna go into cryopods, wake up, and other people are gonna get out of the cryopods to do their assigned shifts and duties. And so you're all on a ship and everyone's a part of the different department. There's like engineering, there's en like all sorts of different things, medical and all that. And it's a bit worker placement, it's a bit mitigate, it's a, a lot of teamwork. Um, you are like gathering resources to complete mission cards in your hand, but ultimately you're trying to f win and succeed as a team. So there are always like missions that pop up every time where it's like everyone's gonna need to contribute to this in some way and you're also rolling dice and using those dice values to sort of get yourself out of these sticky situations. Um, but it's and great. And mostly this involve the AI named Karen. Yeah, Karen, which is, <laughs> or Karen. Uh, and yeah, like obviously, if you guys have ever watched any space movie, the AI starts going along. And I think so, of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Absolutely. Hal. Hal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's a lot of what it is. And there's and the story is constantly changing. You're opening up new envelopes as it's going, so it's kind of like a legacy game. But it's not a legacy game in that you can actually put them all back when you're done and replay it again and do different choices throughout. And each of the choices are going to lead you down a different path. So Okay, now, which episode is your gaming group on and what character are you playing? We are on episode four, and I Ooh, believe... Over halfway. Yeah, I believe I'm... Uh, the Vietnamese uh, person. I forget his name because we haven't played it in a few weeks now. Oh, yeah, but uh, do you have a specialty? Engineering? Um, no, we actually switch it up a lot. So oh. you, you're allowed to switch it up if you want, but I, I like the one that has robotics because you, you get to build a robot, and the robot's like a special dice that's better than a six-sided die, so it, it actually is pretty powerful. I think you've bro brought up robots like four or five times, mostly yeah. when you're describing what's not in a green deck. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> robots are great, though. And so Gen 7, yeah, I, I would recommend it for anyone that has a solid playgroup, wants to learn a complex, but ultimately not that, like, it's not that complicated, it's just complex at first. Right, I've, I've seen a lot of complaints about the rule book because what's really important is right in the middle of the rule book and sometimes you have to flip to the yeah. uh, alphabetical list, list of the components back, in yeah, the back. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, did you guys have a lot of trouble that first time getting into it? Uh, the first time we definitely made a few mistakes as always, but the more that we played it, the Matt, again, our game master, like read over the rule book again and made sure that we did all the things right and we constantly are checking in and stuff. And if we ever have something that's on the fringe, you can Google it, and usually that question's been answered if the game is popular enough. Oh, yeah. BoardGameGeek.com is the best. Yes, absolutely. And uh, PSA to everybody who has a game group at home, thank your Matt for yeah. rereading that rule book. Everybody's got a Matt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you need to have someone that's there. Or in my case, it used to be Matt and me who would both be like, all right, let's do this game. And so we'd both look it up and make sure we all knew the rules before introducing it to the group. Because that's, I'd say, the biggest barrier for entries. Yes, Hey, don't, who don't wants to explain there. it? Yeah, <laughs> Don't sit there and flip through. Somebody has to read it ahead of time or else no one's going to want to sit through that Yeah, and that person has to be good at explaining things too. So. <gasps> All right. Well, I would love to dig deeper into so many things, but uh, – We've we've made quite a long episode here. So oh, have we? Excellent. <laughs> we have. I do yeah. tend to talk a lot. So um, you are a great talker, and I very much enjoy speaking with you. So thank, thank you. you for being here, Jimmy. Thank you for doing the 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 deep dive into the stuff that I do as well. It is my great honor to do so, and um, thank you for loving my dog the way that you oh, do. Oh, I love this. Dog. Please don't steal him. If anybody's watching the video, they can see. Pictures of Jimmy and Oshie. Oh, that was perfect. There's a screenshot if ever I saw one. All right. Uh, well, thanks so much to you guys for listening. Make sure that you subscribe and rate and review yes, and share and like and do all those things that we need so that other people find out about this podcast. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.